You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Today we're very fortunate to have Alexandra Lukina as our guest. Alexandra uh, recently received her PhD at St. Petersburg State University, and uh, she's now a, uh, a resident postdoctoral fellow here at University of Wisconsin with the Wisconsin Russia Project, which is funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. So she's with us this semester. Uh, she works uh, broadly on economic growth theory, socioeconomic inequality, uh, labor economics, and she's also interested in the mathematical modeling of uh, economic systems um, and, and labor economics, and also international labor migration. Today, uh, she quite uh, kindly offered to talk about a topic that's outside her usual research interest, but is of considerable interest to all those who follow contemporary Russia, and that is uh, Russia's demographic trend. Today, I'm talking. I am going to talk about Russian demography, and although I am not working on demography at the moment, I was interested and am still interested in this topic, and I was making my small own researches during some periods of my academic life, and um, today my aim is to give you an overview of Russia's recent demographic uh, trends. And also during the talk, I'm going to discuss the data related uh, only to Russian Federation in general. But you have to understand that uh, all the indicators uh, vary considerably subject to different regions. Um, And the plan of the talk is the following. To start with, I will describe briefly data sources and some general total numbers. After that, I will describe fertility and mortality trends. And finally, we will discuss issues associated with international migration and different Russia's population forecasts. As for data sources, uh, the most popular sources used by Russian demographers are Russian Federation Federal State Statistics Service, also known as Rostat, and you can find uh, a lot of data on their website, and also on the same website you can find uh, annual books called Russian Figures and the Demographic Yearbook of Russia. However, many researchers uh, prefer to use some international databases and don't rely only on Rostat. And for example, they use the human fertility and the human mortality databases. Let's talk about some general uh, figures. Uh, The total population of Russia in 2015 was 146 million of people. And 108 million of them is urban population. Um, as you can see, uh, so the figure covers the period from 1960 to 2015, uh, but from 1960 to 
1990. The step is five years, and then the step is one year. So as you see, total population of Russia was increasing before 1990, and then it almost stabilized, but at some moment it uh, became decreasing. Also, from this figure, we can see that uh, urban population was increasing before 90s, and at the same time, rural population was decreasing, and so this distribution formed before 1990. Um, the next slide is devoted to total numbers of births, deaths, and natural increase. Natural increase is simply the difference between uh, the total number of births and total number of deaths. Um, as you can see here, natural increase was positive, but it was decreasing before 1990. Uh, during the first half of the 90s, it was uh, negative, and indeed it was negative until 2014, and only in 2014 we came to the zero uh, natural increase. Now uh, let's consider population age and sex structure. So this is population age and sex, so-called pyramid. And uh, here on the vertical axis we have age, and on the horizontal axis we have the number of people. The field area corresponds to 2015 population, and red contour corresponds to 2010 population. Uh, as you can see, this age structure is not very balanced uh, because we have much more people of middle ages than children. And if we compare this age structure in 2015 with the uh, age structure in 2010, we observe that indeed we have some positive dynamics and the number of children in 2015 was higher than in 2010. But it is also interesting to compare age structure in 2015 with age structure in 1990. And here we see that age structure in 1990 was much more balanced than in 2015, and the number of younger people was much higher. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say, uh, sorry for many zeros, the <laughs> end point of the scale is one million and four hundreds thousands of people. Uh, also, I want to pay your um, uh, attention to this crack in red quantum. Uh, it corresponds to people in their middle forties. And as you can guess, this is an echo of uh, the World War II and Russia's losses in this war. Um, now I would like to turn to fertility rates uh, dynamics. Uh, 
and in this figure you can see total fertility rate uh, dynamics and uh, to describe total fertility rate, let us start with the definition of age-specific fertility rates. Uh, age-specific fertility rate is the number of um, births per one woman of a given age occurring during a given year. And uh, using age-specific fertility rates, we can calculate total fertility rate which shows uh, an average number of children per one woman that would be born throughout her all reproductive period, which is between uh, 15 and 49 years. And calculating this indicator, we assume that all age-specific fertility rates remain the same uh, as in the year for, for which we compute the index. So, um, I hope that it's clear. And uh, it's known that the replacement fertility rate has to be close to <coughs> 2. Um, and as you can see from this figure, we, has, uh, we had um, the replacement fertility rate uh, in 1985 for the last time. And then during the first <coughs> half of the 90s, total fertility rate uh, was catastrophically decreasing uh, and it continued decreasing until 2000 and in 2000 the, present, the presence of a structural break is evident because then total fertility rate finally became increasing and also we can observe a splash in increasing dynamics after 2006. Uh, this splash can be partially associated with a pro-family program called in Russian Materinsky Capital uh, and usually translated into English as maternal capital. The aim of this program is to encourage families to get uh, and raise uh, children. This program was introduced in 2007 and initially it was planned uh, as a 10-year program, but it is already continued for at least two years, and we'll see what we will have next. Um, only families with two or more children, either born or adopted, have a uh, right to use this program. And each family is entitled to only one certificate, which means that if you use this program for, for your second child, you have no chance to use this program anymore. Of course, you, you, you can use some other sources of government support, but not the maternal capital. Um, and also, it's important to know to note that um, maternal capital exists only as a certificate or as a voucher, and this uh, sum in to in uh, seven thousands and five hundred dollars can't be transformed into cash. This sum can be used only for improvements in housing conditions, or for children's education, or for or for contribution in mothers. Uh, retirement fund. And of course, uh, everywhere we talk about 
uh, females and about uh, mothers, but if a man raises children alone, of course, he has the same rights as, uh, as a woman. Um, and if somebody is interested in this program, you can visit this website to, to find some details, but unfortunately, this site is only in Russian, and uh, if you want to read about this program in English, I put some references on this slide. Uh, also, I want to get back for, for a minute. So many researchers uh, write that uh, this splash is a very good uh, thing and uh, the maternal capital had a great impact on total fertility rate. Uh, and for sure it's true, we see that total fertility rate is increasing uh, dramatically. But at the same time, uh, we have to be very cautious because uh, according to the definition of total fertility rate, we assume that age-specific fertility rates remain the same uh, as um, in the year for which we compute the index. Uh, but it's evident that um, after introducing the program maternal capital, all age-specific uh, fertility rates increased, uh, but it might not mean that uh, we will have the same tendency during uh, the next periods of time, uh, and so indeed uh, it might not uh, mean that the number of children per family will increase. So uh, we really have to be cautious and not to overestimate the effect of uh, this program. And now we can turn to mortality. Mm -hmm. um, and in this figure, you see uh, the dynamics <coughs> of mortality rate uh, from 1960 to 2014. Uh, and again, during uh, you see that it was increasing almost the whole period of time, uh, but the mm, dramatic increase again happened during the first half of the 90s, and uh, this mortality rate um, became, uh, started decreasing only after 2005. Uh, but indeed, again, um, from 2000, the situation almost stabilized, and you can see the same if you look at the data for um, mortality levels at different ages. So indeed, the situation in 2000s is uh, extremely different from uh, the 90s. Uh, this mortality rate is just uh, the ratio of death to Population. population and so of course this index uh, depends on the age structure of the population and so uh, it's more sensible to to look at some other indices which are independent of uh, the age uh, structure and um, on the next slide you can see dynamics of uh, life expectancy at birth um, again covering the period from 1965 to 2000. Uh, 
14. And uh, so this life expectancy at birth is just uh, a mean number of years to be lived uh, by a newborn. Again, assuming that the mortality levels at all ages remain the same as in the year for which uh, the index is computed. And of course, this index is already independent of uh, the age structure of the population. And uh, you can see the dynamics of life expectancy at birth for Russian males, for Russian females, and for comparison, I put uh, on the slide, um, life expectancy at birth uh, in the United States. Uh, so again, during the first half of the 90s, we uh, observe uh, dramatic decreasing of life expectancy at birth for both uh, males and females. And then we started to uh, recover. But indeed, as you can see, in 2014, uh, for males, we have almost the same as we had in 1965. And uh, females uh, gained only several years. And in the United States, uh, life expectancy at birth during the same period of time was sustainably increasing. And uh, the gain is close to 10 years. So what is the current life expectancy for Russian men and for Russian women, respectively? Uh, so for Russian men, uh, I think it's uh, 66. Mm -hmm. And uh, for women, maybe 77. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, of course, we have to note that the difference between females and males is much more dramatic in Russian Federation than, for example, in the United States. And uh, many researchers um, associate this with um, alcohol consumption, um, mostly males at working ages. And if we have time, I will show you some figures uh, later. Um, and if we, if we look at uh, causes of death of working age population, um, these data are provided by Rostat, and we can see that uh, the fraction of external causes of uh, mortality is pretty huge. And um, I didn't find um, the numbers we, for, for the United States, which we compare with this, because you have uh, a pretty different system of qualification of uh, uh, causes of death, but uh, in Australia they have the same system. And uh, in Australia, the fraction of external causes of mortality is less than 7%. So, external causes of uh, mortality, according to Rostat, are occasional alcohol poisonings, uh, transport accidents, suicides, homicides, and others. Uh, the problem is that we don't know what is others. Um, and uh, as for uh, distribution of all causes of death, um, it was not changing during the 2000s, but uh, 
but the shares of different uh, external causes of mortality was changing. And for example, the fraction of occasional alcohol poisonings uh, decreased from 2005 to 2014. And uh, the same we can say about homicides, but at the same moment we observe increasing uh, the fraction of others and we don't know what is others. What was the red sector on your preceding picture? External? Yeah, this one. Side. External causes of mortality, or all of them. And here we look precisely at external causes of mortality. Excuse me, what are neoplasms? Cancer. I don't know the meaning. Cancer. Cancer. Cancer, yes. Thank you. Now I want to, to move on to international migration issues. Um, and in this slide, you can see the dynamics of incoming uh, and outgoing migration flows uh, covering the period from 1997 to 2014. And ROSTAT doesn't provide any data before 1999, unfortunately. So this is all we have. Um, and what we can see here, that the incoming flow was always higher than the outgoing flow, so we deal only with uh, positive uh, net migration. Uh, but we have to understand that after the Soviet Union collapse, we regard post-Soviet countries as uh, other countries, and of course this uh, incoming flow includes migrants from post-Soviet countries. And on the next slide, uh, you can see the comparison of um, the number of migrants from post-Soviet countries and all the others uh, in incoming migration flow. Uh, and indeed, the average number of migrants from post-Soviet um, countries was in 45 times uh, higher than the number of migrants from other countries who are among the leaders. And sorry, I forgot to say uh, here I wanted to start with some uh, data. According to the United Nations report, there was uh, 11, 12 millions of migrants in Russia in 2013. And uh, in relative terms, it means 7-8% of total population. Um, the data provided by Rostat don't seem to be very reliable because uh, when we talk about the number of migrants even only inside Moscow, uh, the numbers may vary from from several hundred thousands of people to several millions of people. And so this spread is pretty huge. But this is, uh, but this data is everything what we have. So, 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 so for these data, how do they define an immigrant? I mean, so, you know, people can travel from visa-free from Kyrgyzstan, for example, for 90 days, what, how, how, I mean, many of them overstay their visas and become de facto 
migrants, immigrants, and they're considered to be illegal immigrants in that circumstance. But are, are such people counted in these Rastat data as immigrants? Or is it only people who officially immigrate and sign up with the FMS? Uh, of course, these are only so these are only people official who officially registered. Okay. And moreover, they uh, changed um, statistical methodology. And for example, you can see a huge splash after 2011, but it is mostly associated with changing in methodology. For example, after 2011, uh, they include in these numbers people who came and stay for more than nine months. And before 2011, they were uh, not regarded as migrants. Only if they stayed for the whole year were they considered migrants? Uh, yes. Indeed. It's a very difficult question, and it's better to read all their sources, and, uh, <laughs> and, and they change them all the times. So this splash for sure is associated with this because the net migration didn't change so much after 2011. This is the same comparison of post-Soviet countries and other countries, but uh, in outgoing migration flow. Um, and here, as you can see, there is no so huge difference uh, between post-Soviet countries and all the others. And in some years, uh, outgoing flow for other countries was even higher than for post-Soviet countries, and this is partially associated with the uh, desire of many Russians to... So outgoing yes. flow means Russians going abroad? Or yes. returning back to the countries? Uh, Russians going abroad and probably migrants who come back. So, total. Is this shift in like this massive increase in out migration to post Soviet countries related again, to the same methodological again, yes. that you're talking about? Yes. Uh, so, did I say everything? One, two? Yes, I think so. Um, so, as for post Soviet countries, we have a positive net migration during the whole period of time. Uh, and it's interesting to observe the fractions of different countries um, in uh, these migration flows. And I understand that it's pretty difficult to distinguish all the colors. So uh, we can read this like this. So the table from the left to the right and then down, from the left to the right and then down. So this is Azerbaijan, Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, uh, Georgia, uh, Georgia here, Latvia, Lithuania, and uh, Estonia. So the same for 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 the next diagrams. Uh, this diagram illustrates the figures in 2010, and as you can see, the fractions change changed from 2005, uh, and in 2010, many migrants uh, came from uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Tajikistan, 
Uzbekistan and Ukraine. And which is also very interesting, in 2014, you can observe uh, a dramatic increase in of fraction corresponding to Ukraine. And this is uh, associated with the Ukrainian events, which we were discussing at these seminars for several times. And on the next slide, you can see the number of refugees from Ukraine in 2015, 16, and 17. And again, this is only official data, and they may be I underestimated. Are those, um, the refugees, are they like Biegency or like Vremeni, like a temporary? Like Biegency. Biegency? Okay. And is there data on the outflow of Biegency, or they're all just, they all go to Russia and they just stay there? Or the, the uh, they stayed, because at least you don't see the same numbers in, uh, in outgoing flow. Okay, yeah, but, uh, so, but Rastat does report on the return or the exodus of refugees who come to Russia? Yes, because, because you, see, uh, you see refugees uh, in, uh, in coming flow. So if they come back, then we will see them in outgoing flow. Okay. But outgoing flow from Russia to Ukraine was not essential. Okay, so, okay. so but there are some, but they just don't report it as a separate category because there's so few. The, out, the outflow of refugees. So there's not a specific number for the right. number of Ukrainians yes. who went. Yes, there is no. There is no trip. But but you can observe them at least there. Um, and as for other post-Soviet countries, uh, of course we have a question: why 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 do they come to Russia? And the number of them still increases and. Uh, the answer for this is uh, for this question is rather easy. Uh, as you can see, in Tajikistan and in uh, Kyrgyzstan, almost 34 percent of the population live below the national poverty lines, and 22 percent of uh, Moldovians live below the national poverty line. Um, and also, you can find these countries in uh, leaders uh, for migrants' remittances as a percentage of GDP. So these people come, of course, mostly to Russia, and then they send some money to their home countries. So uh, we talked about positive net migration, and it's time to talk about negative net migration. And uh, the um, substantial numbers for negative uh, net migration we can observe corresponds to the United States, Germany, and Israel. Um, as you can see from this figure, uh, most people went from Russia to these countries before 2006, and then uh, the number of emigrants to these countries uh, decreased, and it's already not so uh, huge. These are immigrants or emigrants? This is uh, net migration. So into 
So this is the dif net migration is the is the difference between migrants into and migrants out. And so here we talk about negative migration. So we deal with emigration from Russia. Sasha, Not just clear. <coughs> just to clarify, so like if if somebody went to school in the U.S. or in Germany and then they got a job in the country where they went to university, but they retained their Russian passport and maybe their Papiska in their home city, we would probably not be picking them up as migrants, is that correct? Um, I think everything depends on uh, the time, what they will spend in other country. Because uh, for sure we observe some of them, uh, because sometimes Rostat provides data about the citizenship, and so. Uh, I think how it works is whenever you go abroad as a Russian passport holder, you may register in an embassy in the host country, and if you do so, then you are considered as a migrant. So you have registered and know, uh, let the state know that you live abroad quite constantly, but you're not. So you, know, you don't have to do this. So there are people who just don't opt in this. And if they go to study abroad in uh, England or maybe even the US, they basically never do so. You can't vote, for instance, without this procedure, but that's basically the only restriction, I guess. So, but they would know how long you had been outside of Russia. Like in theory, they could be, I would like, it would be interesting to know exactly what they're doing. Because in theory, right, you leave. Russia knows you're no longer in Russia because you leave and you. But you can just travel, right? I mean. Right, but what I'm saying is, like, it, I, I, so like we have this same thing, and I would be surprised if we use it for data. So like, technically, as an American, anytime you go abroad, you can register with the embassy, but nobody does it, and I think, I don't know, is that really is that the only way they're counting the statistics? Is by who registers? I'm pretty sure that's the only way they actually do this. I mean, really? there are certainly other ways, but I doubt that. After after the talk, I can show you the methodology. I have all these tables. Yes. Tell me, how should I understand that yellowish line going like that? The, uh, the one that's sort of jumping up and then. Germany. Germany. Yeah. <laughs> that so Russians <coughs> were going to Germany and mostly in. Uh, Mostly during the 90s and... They, they came from Germany to Russia? No, 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 vice versa. From Russia to Germany. From Russia to Germany. And then later... And later this number was not so they sort of big. They continued yes. Then. yes. So is dual citizenship um, allowed by Russia? And are those people in those graphs? Yes. They, uh, so it's, it's allowed and they are. It's country specific. Hmm? It's country-specific, dual, dual citizenship. You cannot have, for instance, Russian and German passport. That's illegal, but you can have Russian and Israeli, or yes. Russian and Australia, so there are... Well, that's very difficult to put them in those graphs, then, for everybody. Okay, so everything is clear here. <laughs> 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 well, the uh, and finally, I want to talk about uh, the future of Russia's closed population, uh, which means that 
since this moment, we will talk about zero net migration. Uh, I'm not going to dig in details uh, regarding this picture. It just uh, demonstrates that you can find a lot of uh, different Forecast. forecasts, and uh, they are very different from each other. And this was the reason for me to make my own computations. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This strong flux from Russia to Germany, are these essentially ethnic Germans that come out of Qatar, to come out from the east, Siberia and from all, all over, or are they really ethnic Russians? Uh, excuse me, could you repeat, please? Well, so you have here numbers, yes. a large number of human beings coming from Russia to Germany. Yes. Now, those human beings, do they have an ethnicity to Germans, their grandfathers were German living in Siberia? Uh, we, we don't have these figures. Ah, so you don't know. Okay. So the problem, it's very clear I mean, those queues are rather small, so it's, it's, hard, it's, it's not really plausible that they're mainly ethnic, you know, Volga Germans going back, because those you don't know. communities are too small to account for this size disparity. This is very detailed information for us that it <laughs> it, it well, never provides such information. Um, okay, so, this was the picture of forecasts. Uh, and so, as I already said, I made my own computations. Uh, and I was uh, using, of course, the most common age sex. Uh, structure forecast method uh, called the cohort component method. Do I have time to talk about? Uh, sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, in a few words, uh, this method uh, this uh, method is based on a very simple idea, um, which is the following: We talk about age sex structure, so. Let's consider, for example, females. Uh, we will get the number of uh, females at age X uh, at the beginning of the year. If we multiply the number of females at age X uh, minus one at the beginning of the previous year and multiply this number by uh, the survival rate. <coughs> and the survival uh, rate is the conditional probability to survive to the age x, given that the age x minus 1 uh, has already been reached. And uh, this idea uh, can be used for determining the number of uh, the all-age sex uh, groups, except, of course, the number of children under the age of 1. And for calculating the number of children under the age of 1, uh, we need to get the numbers of females at all childbearing ages, multiply these numbers by corresponding age-specific fertility rates, and then we have to find the total of all these products, and this will be the total number of children, and then we have to divide them into boys and girls uh, mm -hmm. using uh, the share of girls or boys uh, among all the newborns, 
uh, and all these ideas can be formalized in a matrix form and uh, you can see it on uh, these slides and of course a similar procedure can be implemented for the male population age distribution so anyway without digging into the details using this method and using um, international databases the human fertility and mortality databases um, I constructed uh, several forecasts uh, under different assumptions uh, and this picture corresponds to the assumption of fixed age specific fertility rates um, and in the figure you can see uh, Russian population dynamics uh, line A corresponds to working age population and line B to total population and as you can see both of them uh, dramatically decrease and uh, here I cover the period until 2016. And these are using 2010 age specific fertility? Yes, because uh, I was making this computation several years ago but the human fertility and mortality databases had the numbers only until 2010 and now maybe until 2012 but not more um, and um, so uh, the reason for this uh, for this decrease in, in both working age population and total population uh, lies not only in low fertility rates but also in uh, in a dramatic decrease in of the number of females at childbearing ages and for sure here we can see an echo of low fertility rates in 90s. <clears throat> also I was trying to identify some positive linear, even linear trends in uh, some age specific fertility rates where it was possible because indeed they they were increasing after 2010 and so uh, I was making the same comp computations using variable age specific fertility rates at every step and uh, so this is much more um, optimistic forecast than the previous one because it contains positive dynamics in many age-specific fertility rates uh, and of course since I use linear trends I can't cover very long periods of time but I uh, uh, do computations until 2030 and even with these uh, positive dynamics total population uh, falls from 142 million in 1910 or in um, 2010 to 134 in 2030 and for working population from 93 millions to 74 millions and uh, this uh, figure demonstrates <laughs> the comparison of uh, my of my forecast which is B with Rostad's forecasts, <laughs> C, D, E. Um, 
And as you can see, uh, my forecast with positive tendencies in fertility rates is uh, still much more pessimistic than uh, Rostad's forecasts. Um, <laughs> and indeed, many researchers uh, get the same figures. And uh, when I when I got my numbers for the first time, I was pretty surprised. <laughs> and uh, once I was uh, presenting on this in uh, the research institute uh, of, uh, for, for, for economics and mathematics and many demographers were in the audience and they said that they believe <laughs> in, my fo in my focus, not in uh, yeah, not Ross for the forecasts. Uh, and uh, on the next slide I put the assumptions uh, about different the uh -huh. about the different variants, uh, but you can see that uh, my forecast is still much more pessimistic than the lowest version. Mm. Did they publish <laughs> their uh, algorithm or, uh, or their uh, formulas? Yes. For the, so how does how does it differ from just different inputs or different uh, different uh, parameters in the model or different? Uh, so. I didn't try to compute <laughs> the same with uh, their data, and moreover, they have uh, age-specific fertility rates only for five-year age groups, not ah. for for one year. So, yeah, yeah, it's anyway a little bit less accurate. But indeed, they publish very strange data because yeah. uh, you can see uh, the splash here. <laughs> so. Uh, this, these are the real data, and then they focused uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the splash. So looks uh, very strange, and so I, I can't say that their forecasts are very reliable. Um, and so I think that's all I wanted to cover in my presentation. So as you see, indeed, this was uh, mostly a story about the sad 90s. And uh, the moral of the story is that five, uh, is that 10 or even less five years may of uh, low fertility rates and high mortality rates can affect the demographic situation during the next half of the century.